Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cineposium podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode 7 of season 3. To remind you how the show works, every week we invite members or collaborators of Cineposium to curate a film for remote viewing. Then, we get together on this podcast and we have a conversation about the film. New episodes will be published every week with various members from Cineposium coming on to discuss the films of our weekly curators. This week's episode is curated by Cineposium's Eric Pitts, joined by Reed Williams, as they discuss Charlie Chaplin's 1921 film, The Kid. Enjoy the conversation. So, The Kid. Just to start off, is there anything that in particular that grew, like gripped you with this film? Uh, I mean, this is Chaplin's first film, and like, or not his first film, his first feature film. Let's make that distinction. I chose this film so that we could have a good starting point for Chaplin and for silent film. I think it's a really good entry point just because it's really short. It's really uh straightforward in terms of the plot plus it, i think it's pretty funny yeah so is there anything that like you wanted to talk about in particular right off the bat yeah i think right off the bat you know you mentioned that like it gets funny and i think that that is still something that impresses me as i've been familiarizing myself with chaplin's work um i'm like coming to it just now uh and so I've recently watched like Modern Times and uh, City Lights and Gold Rush, like all of the stuff he's known for. And is like on all like the AFI list and, you know, BFI, like, um, and I have been surprised that it is like a lot of the comedy does still hold up mm-hmm. um, and actually like makes you laugh out loud. Um, because that's just not always the case with comedies. It's like they usually age pretty poorly. Uh, right. Maybe because like the references are outdated or um, our cultural mores are different. Um, and, and so, yeah, a lot of it just like doesn't hold up. Um, like I remember my parents talking about how funny Red Skeleton was to them. And they showed me some of those like old Red Skeleton episodes. And it's just like, they weren't even laughing, you know? So it's just like, it's, it is so impressive to me that, um, you know, not all of it works obviously, but the stuff that, um, is funny is really funny. And I think that does make sense because you can also see like Chaplin's influence in future comedies and movies just today, how much it is just the blueprint for so much of what we see today. So I I guess it does make sense in a way that it's held up because it, it's set like the tone right like i think it's just chaplin really knows what he's doing uh as both like a physical comedian because of course it being a silent film you have you can't have a lot of witty dialogue um because a title card can only do so much but um you know as far as what he does really well is these juxtapositions between the dramatic and the comedic. And so when you have that, those comedic elements right after the dramatic, the like very emotional tension or the moments filled with 
uh, high moments of emotional tension, and then he breaks them. It just makes the laughs land a lot harder, I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, and I think you see that even just in the beginning of the film where it starts off like it, I think I wrote like in my notes, like it's got a bummer start to it. It's really sad. You see this baby getting abandoned. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's this great gag then immediately where the baby's being like switched between Chaplin, uh, tra- Chaplin's the tramp trying to get rid of the baby or mm-hmm. putting it in the woman's tram and then the police officer catching him, like, you know, I'm doing like injustice to this uh, right. <laughs> bit because it's just, I mean, it, you know, immediately that was making me laugh after, like you said, this really like harrowing, um, tragic incident of this mother abandoning her baby. And it's just insane how seamlessly he, he shifts those tones. Right. And like, uh, just to go off of those first five minutes without, uh, the tramp on screen. We just see this woman uh, leaving this asylum-like hospital. Like it's pretty cold-looking, I think. And then it cuts to the scene of the man, uh, who's the father of the baby, and we see that photograph just fall into the fire. And then he, you know, when he picks it up. And then just kind of throws it in there again, like after picking it out, it just, it's one of those really, I think it's a brilliant moment, just like in terms of uh, how the, it shows the relationship between the man and the woman uh, and how the man feels about her and not, uh, you know, being there for her or the child um, and just kind of really shows how down, downtrodden this woman is. Like those first five minutes is a, in an act of desperation. She has to abandon the baby in the, uh, in a car in front of a mansion. So, so that hopefully the rich people can get there. Right. Yeah. And uh that's something that's also really struck me about watching Chaplin's films. And it's definitely the case in this one too, like mentioning the rich and like class definitely like plays Mm -hmm. such a factor in these films. And like, just, I also made a note about how impoverished the tramp is. I mean, that is part of the character and Mm -hmm. and we, we know that about him, but for some reason in this one in particular, where you see where he lives, his home and mm-hmm. there's like the chairs don't have backs and the walls are dirty and he has a hole in his blanket that he wears it's <laughs> like a poncho too it's just it he is so destitute um and it's just interesting because in a way that does play into the comedy sometimes but still Chaplin is very empathetic of uh people in poverty for the most part it seems like so that's a really interesting tension in his films as well just like making jokes about being poor while also being empathetic to to that situation yeah and the the kid has been just in like my own perusing through chaplain items it's been called one of if not chap the most uh autobiographical of chaplain's films um, because Chaplin grew up in uh, poverty. His parents were um, vaudeville actors, and his father 
uh, let's see, abandoned his mother or divorced her or something like that. And so um, Chaplin was in and out of poverty. His mother eventually started losing her mind a little bit and went to, I guess, what we would call a mental hospital now or then. I don't really know. But um, yeah, and so Chaplin was always in that poverty. But then, you know, he eventually escapes it, but he never really, or he escapes it in terms of in reality, but he doesn't really escape it throughout at least his silent films with the tramp. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of his filmography. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I did recently also watch the uh, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> biopic mm. Chaplin too. So like, um, you know, which I can't say like I really cared for that much, um, but uh, it, it did give some kind of that background information, which is kind of cool. Cause yeah, I really don't know much about Chaplin himself. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, so it is interesting to see how um, his life directly influences work. Uh, but I am curious, I, I didn't have the chance to really like look into this too much, but um, there were parts of the kid, especially I guess just having one of the main characters be a child mm -hmm. um, and, and especially a poor child. And so I was curious if, if you know whether this film or Chaplin in general, if he had some sort of influence on Italian neorealism too, because I feel like even though those films aren't necessarily like humorous, they're definitely not meant to be. Just some of the imagery um, from the kid, you know, like seeing the little boy uh, screaming for the tramp, you know, in his, in his hat and like, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about, um, that character and the images of those of that character when he's in distress or suffering that kind of reminded me of some of the Italian neorealist films I've seen. Um, as far as Italian neorealism goes, uh, I can't point you to any sources directly, but I know uh, much like Italian neorealist films, this uh, the kid was filmed for the most part on location um, in Los Angeles uh, around, around the sunset area. And uh, it had no proper script. Like it was pretty much improvised by Chaplin uh, as he went on. And a lot of things were just put input by the people around him. So like if a person on the set had a suggestion, he would tend to try it out, I think. Um, and I know for this film, I, I watched the commentary for this a few years ago on the uh, Criterion disc, and they mentioned how apparently for every foot of film that was used in the film, there was 53 feet that weren't used and so they filmed a lot and I don't know as far as Italian neorealism goes if any of the directors of the time like De Sica or others were citing him directly but there's definitely a common thread of high emotion and class disparity throughout. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because um, just like the nature of the character being a, a tramp or kind of a transient, um, you know, person experiencing homelessness, I guess is how we put it nowadays, um, that, that, you know, it's impossible to avoid uh, commenting on class or at least having it be a, a prominent part of, of the film. Mm -hmm. Let's see. As far as the kid himself, what did you think of him? Like, this is Jackie Coogan, who was much like Chaplin, a child vaudeville star. Um, and he eventually became like the first movie star that, or first child movie star, rather, um, from, the, from this film throughout the early 30s, I believe. And eventually he kind of followed that traditional child star route of kind of fading to obscurity and then having a bit of a resurgence on the Adams Family TV show in the 60s. He played Uncle Fester. Um, so what, do, what did you make of like just the kid in general? Wow, yeah, I had no idea that that was Uncle Fester. That's so cool. Um, now I'm even more impressed about Uncle Fester just because I was really moved by that kid's performance. Um, you know, I definitely thought of that kind of old showbiz adage about how don't work with like dogs or children. And it's funny because the, the kid has both. <laughs> A dog kind of shows up briefly later on. But yeah, I was really impressed. Um, you know, that moment I mentioned earlier where... Um, you know, I guess for people who haven't seen this, we should mention that basically it's just about Charlie Chaplin's The Tramp character, uh, basically like finds this baby that's been abandoned uh, by this woman um, and takes care of it until later on, this woman who's now become an actress finds uh, her son and they uh, there's like a happy reunion at the ending. But, you know, leading up to that point, uh, the police basically and local authorities are trying to separate the tramp from the kid and uh, the kids in this truck, just like screaming and like his hand is reached out and like in a fist and he just, the anguish on his face is like really just like burned into my mind. Like I really wasn't expecting that from the film. So when it happened, it, it really, uh, you know, it really struck me. Mm -hmm. And going to that scene that you're mentioning about the uh, the the uh, kid in the back of the truck, uh, I, yeah, for me that, that's just one of the great. It eventually becomes a chase sequence, and I think it's one of the great chase sequences in cinema, just because there's so much riding on the tramp catching up to the kid, um, and while it's very comical because Chaplin is running over a rooftop being chased by a cop who keeps basically they keep falling over and Chaplin I think eventually kicks the cop off the roof um it's there's a lot riding on it like I said and so it's just a very high strung scene almost I, I would put it up there with like the tension that you might find in Safety Last uh, during the uh, 
uh, scenes where he we see Harold Lloyd escalating the clock tower and he keeps almost falling off. Um, <laughs> let's see, the film also proceeds or starts off with saying a ch something along the lines with a film with a smile and perhaps a tear. Now, I've seen this movie five times or so. I cry every time. I want to know, Reed, did you cry? <laughs> oh, definitely. A hundred percent. And and that's probably why that scene was so memorable to me too. Cause it was just like one of those, uh, like for me personally, whenever like a film moves me like that, it's like that weird, almost like choking up feeling where it's like, mm -hmm. you weren't expecting to feel that way. So it like kind of takes you by surprise, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that's probably another part of why that scene was so memorable for me. It was just because, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I was so emotionally invested in uh, the tramp and the kid and their like really sweet and tender father-son, you know, relationship dynamic. I mean, th there is something sad to it because they are so poor and they're basically like conning people <laughs> and to make a living. Uh, you know, the kid will break someone's window and the tramp will conveniently come along to fix it, uh, which is, you know, what leads to the this trouble later on but you know ultimately I was invested in their relationship and I wanted them to be able to continue it so yeah I definitely was like really uh moved by that scene where they're separated so yeah I, I think that's definitely one moment I choked up and I think there was another moment too uh, it's not coming to mind but there are you know just the times where the music swells and um the the actors performances you know their facial expressions um you know everything kind of comes together really to kind of create that emotional response i think mm -hmm. and you, you mentioned this father-son dynamic between the tramp and the kid and i think that's i mean i that's the i would say the most essential part of the movie um just because that's what it's about. Um, but beyond that, Chaplin does a lot of really nice little things, I think, in showing that relationship. Like uh, there's a scene where uh, he and the kid are eating pancakes and uh, we see that as the stack gets divided between the kid and the tramp, uh, the tramp's counting them like a deck of cards and then he just he discovers that there's an odd amount of uh pancakes so he cuts one of his in half and gives the other half to the kid and i think that's one of those really nice uh touches that just kind of highlights that the tramp is being this responsible father figure for the kid by sh like showing him equality showing him responsibility because for whatever reason, the five-year-old kid is cooking pancakes over an open flame. Um, but yeah, it's just these little things that really add up to the, like building that relationship. I was wondering if there's any of those little things that stuck out stuck out to you when you were watching. Yeah, you know, not the pancake one's a good one. Another one that comes to mind is just where, you know, I can't remember the circumstances leading up to it, but it's where the tramp is cleaning his face just wiping mm. his face. There's like, like a decent amount of time to just him taking the time and care to, you know, help take care of this kid, even given their really dire circumstances. Um, and I think it's that contrast that really, 
elicits that response. You know, talking about kind of this mixture of just like heartwarming pathos and humor, one thing that kept coming to my mind was, you know, just tracking um, the film and Chaplin's influence like in film. Mm -hmm. And the thing I kept thinking of most was Pixar. I feel like Pixar is like really kind of picked up on this formula well where, you know, conceivably it's like the their children's movies, right? But I feel like they really follow that, this Chaplin model and skill of blending these heartwarming emotional moments with genuinely really funny moments and bits too. Yeah, that actually is an analogy I've not considered. Like, I definitely see that, especially in, um, you know, films like, uh, heck, Toy Story, even. Like, Toy Story is, I love Toy Story, but it's... Same, yeah, same. It's a film where you're, like exploring the relationship between Buzz and Woody and it's a, it's got some very funny moments like uh, the the scene now we're ta- talking about Toy Story instead of the kid but who cares um, but the scene in Toy Story where they're trapped not trapped but they're stuck under the uh, the one uh, gas tanker and they're they're bickering over whether Buzz is a toy or not, and like getting back to Andy. Um, and it's a very tense scene, but we see that uh, you know just conflated with uh, the yelling of "You are a toy," and then um, uh, the scene that scene ends with like "Good riddance, Yaloni." Like it's a it's a pretty funny scene, but there's definitely a chaplainist quality in that uh, mixture of the dramatic with the comedic. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I thought of Toy Story as well, and I also thought of Up, um, mm. just because that one's another one where you know the first in the first minutes it's really really sad, and then it it gets funny. I mean, Doug is cracks me up every time and like then you also have the relation the sort of father-son relationship between Mm -hmm. the old man and the little boy scout kid i can't remember their names but yeah 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 that's that's it that's it so yeah it is just it's wild that you know the kid is like almost 100 years old i noticed 1921 i think right so yeah 100 years next year yeah so 100 years old and i feel like it really did like set the blueprint for these films that we're talking about now you know yeah, absolutely what did you make of the dream sequence because i've never known what to make of this sequence because we have what we have is those angels and those uh little the, it's uh you know kind of a heaven paradise area and it's infiltrated by these little devils um and all the, these little devils basically start bringing stuff like temptation and jealousy into um this little heaven area almost like a paradise lost uh adam and eve type thing so i really don't know what to make of this especially given it's part in the film uh 
like this the scene appears towards the end for those who haven't seen it but it's not out of place i wouldn't say but it's just very different yeah it is it it surprised me definitely and it i also don't know what to make of it because i don't know what to make in general of a lot of the christian imagery in the film um because i think early on in the film around the time when the mother abandons her child um or i don't know that sounds so harsh you know it's not the the mother character is ultimately like a character we sympathize with and like, but, but, you know, after she mm-hmm. uh, has to give up her child, um, we see an image of uh, Jesus Christ carrying the cross. Um, and then I feel like there is other, you know, Christian images sprinkled throughout it. I can't think of another example. I feel like we see another cross at some point or like there's some, uh, some other kind of Christian symbolism and imagery. And then, then you have this whole scene, which is, you know, we see angels and devils and, you know, like you said, it is kind of this heaven or garden of Eden kind of, um, kind of space. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, there, there's a lot of that in there. And my, my, the only thing I kind of am thinking now is just, maybe it's part of Chaplin empathizing with impoverished people and also basically like putting, equating impoverished people with like angels, you know, that kind of idea of like seeing poor people as like being maybe more good or noble in a way. I'm not exactly sure how to put it, but you know, it's kind of that approach to, um, to cinematic stories about, uh, you know, lower class people. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I've never, I again, I've never really known what to make of it. So that's helpful in exploring my own ideas of what it might be. I've all, uh, the, the closest thing I've come to is like the angels are having fun and that that's like the kid and the tramp. And then the devils would be like, the child services or the cops maybe infiltrating their little area but i'm not i'm not entirely sold on that because there's uh that scene with um the the one girl angel who starts flirting with chaplain and kind of having a dual relationship between him and this uh bully's brother character from earlier in the film and so that's always been the point where I'm like, uh, I don't know what to make of this because it doesn't fit into what I'm thinking, you know? Yeah, I had forgotten about that part. That's right. There's like one of the demons like whispers in her ear to kind of like go tempt the tramp or something. Yeah, I had forgotten about that part. And yeah, that whole thing is... I have no idea. Like you said, it is really a really um, like the film is super straightforward. Like you said, like you said, like a pretty simple plot, you know, up until this kind of more ambitious dream sequence where they also have some like special effects, like they're flying around and stuff. Like it's, that was kind of interesting too, to see that. There's a flying dog. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a surreal moment. And I, 
I, I feel like this is one of those things where I'm going to be viewing this for like years down the line. I'll come revisit it um, and be like, yeah, I still don't know what the heck is going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that bully's brother, that scene, you, you've seen City Lights, correct? Yes. Okay. So that scene kind of for me felt like a preemptive City Lights almost. Yeah, Just, like the, bo- the the famous boxing sequence. Yeah, yeah. So if, just uh, the way Chaplin comes on and starts like telling the kid to knock it off, and we see him pick up the kid by the seat of his pants, quite literally, and the kid is still scrambling around. And then once he drops him, he goes back into fighting. But then, and that kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, in City Lights where we see Chaplin bouncing back and forth between the ropes um, and just kind of flying everywhere. Uh, And then uh, also when he just gets, when Chaplin starts, or the tramp, when the tramp starts getting into it and hyping him up with, like putting him in the windowsill giving him his or actually the tramp drinks his water um but like hyping him up and being like yeah you got this win i i don't know i thought i love that moment i think it's hilarious yeah 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 for sure there's so many great jokes i mean the setup is already just classically funny of like getting into a fight with a person much larger in stature than you and then trying to get out of that is like just a great setup in general and then how the different ways he approaches it from like uh, later on when the uh bully's brother's like if your kid beats my brother i'm gonna beat you and so then like the tramp like like steps on the kid to keep him from like beating (laughs) him up and like tries to hold up the other kid like he won the match like yeah and then yeah it's just you know, every kind of beat in that is is pretty funny. But, you know, that scene does uh, bring to mind something else I wrote down, which um, I was surprised with how, on the one hand, tender and sweet the film is with, like, how violent it can be, too. I mean, from, I mean, we see, like, basically, like, police violence from, you know, this the kid getting picked on, um like there's some there's some and you know none of it's like necessarily graphic or um not super uh gory or whatever but like it just surprised me when it would happen because of the the general sweetness of the movie oh yeah definitely especially when we see like chaplain or the tramp that's a confusion that's going to keep on happening i'm accepting it but when we see the tramp just hitting the bully's brother over the head with a brick then kicking him by the seat of his pants then hitting him in the head with a brick again and then hitting him in the head with a brick again it's definitely something that (laughs) really i wouldn't say it seems out of place because it works with in the narrative and within chaplin's style of comedy but it's just kind of odd to be looking at this and thinking wow this this is happening 
in such a, uh, like you said, tender and sweet movie. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I was curious, you know, just, I know police, like Keystone Cop is like kind of a, a like a character trope, you know, like from these silent films and, and later on. Um, and I don't know if it's just watching this movie, um, you know, in our current moment, like where there's lots of debate about defunding the police and police violence, but that really did just stick out to me too, like the prominent role the police officer made and or, or the prominent role the police officer had uh, in the film both as kind of the antagonist and also fodder for some of the comedy. Like I, I love when the tramp is flirting with his girlfriend, <laughs> like kind of near the beginning, but, but anyway, that, that really did, I, I guess, like <laughs> to say like hit different, I guess, <laughs> like seeing the Keystone cop in, in this film, um, you know, just in light of, of our current moment and um, perception of, of, of the police today. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that too, because the last time I had seen this was probably like two years ago or something, where, you know, there'd been issues with the police, but never like such a mass call for defunding um, as we see within the past, what, six or seven months. Um, and so, yeah, that definitely hit differently. And I'm kind of wondering if um this is particularly based with Chaplin's own experiences with the cops uh growing up because like like I had mentioned before he did grow up in this poor scenario where his mother did get taken away um or where he got taken away from his mother basically when she had to go to the hospital and so I'm kind of wondering if that maybe uh set in stone or imp impressed upon a young chaplain where uh you know he harbors this animosity towards cops just because he has this isn't the first time that he's had issues uh with the between the tramp and uh keystone cops uh this is very prevalent throughout the rest of his uh, films, be they his features or his shorts. Yeah, yeah, that that checks out. Just his, I guess, anti-authoritarian or authority kind of streak, like you even see in modern times towards the bosses, or um, you know. Um, so yeah, no, that is that is interesting to think about. Oh, I got some motorcycles driving by. <laughs> Sorry, um, <laughs> but that that's interesting to hear about like his early kind of run-ins with authorities because that kind of from what I understand just basically from again watching that biopic is like that's something that continued throughout his life like with you know basically like him dating significantly like being involved with like teenage girls basically and like him getting um like blacklisted from America basically and uh or exiled I guess I should say so yeah I, um it's interesting that his sort of anti-authority and streak can be seen 
uh, reflects like his his personal life too. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, you bring up chaplains marrying significantly younger women, and uh, his second wife appears in the film, the kid, and she plays um, the the temptress angel. And so she was 12 at the time. They married three years later. So she was like 15 or 16 at the time. So yeah, Chaplin is definitely problematic in that way. I just want to make that very clear. But yeah, you you mentioned it and it's definitely something that's there. Right. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and that even just adds another, I guess, interesting wrinkle to his legacy that um, I didn't know that about him until like watching that again, that biopic and like um, uh, I listened to some different podcasts about some of his films and people brought it up too. So it's like, that's not necessarily the first thing we associate with him. Mm-hmm. Whereas other really like famous, beloved uh, public figures, you know, their legacy is basically um, their sexual misconduct. So, so mm-hmm. it is interesting that so far up to this point, it seems like Chaplin's managed to skirt that in the public's mind. Yeah, and with recent calls for, uh, you know, talking about uh, Hollywood and its predatory nature, um, it's been coming to light a little bit uh, as far as, you know, revisiting Chaplin. And I think, I think it's a very important thing just to be aware of when watching Chaplin's films is... Uh, how he's portraying women, particularly young women, just because um, it's problematic and it definitely is something that shouldn't be ignored. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that's interesting that um, his second wife was in that film because that was was that fairly common for him too. Like it seems like he, you know, I, I think. Um, either like married or was in a relationship with um i can't think of her name um that yeah 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 exactly Uh, yeah she was his third wife okay okay she was in modern times of the great dictator um but i i don't know if he was trying to woo them by casting them in his films but it wouldn't surprise me but but on a on a lighter note let's go back to uh the the kid the film uh let's see there's there's this we we mentioned the pancake scene earlier and i just want to go back to that for, for a little bit just because um chaplin's really i think brilliant with um, eating scenes um, we see of course in the gold rush um, the scene where he's eating a boiled boot there's the scene in uh, the short a dog's life where 
I'm pretty sure it's a dog's life where there's a basket of muffins or a muffin vendor or something like that. And he steals the muffins. Um, there's a scene within the great dictator uh, with where Chaplin is eating. Uh, he is, he eats five coins that are hidden in pudding and then proceeds to uh, burp or have some sort of indigestion. And we hear this jingling coin in his uh, mouth or stomach. And um, I don't know, that's one of the things that really sticks out to me about Chaplin and his physical comedy because uh, I think food can be just a very funny way to uh, develop that uh, character. And we see that in the kid when he puts a butter, he takes a stick, a pat of butter, and then wraps a pancake around it, then douses it in syrup. And uh, But then meanwhile, the kid, he's eating, he pours the syrup on his plate and then starts eating with a knife. And then the tramp just decides, he's like, no, 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 don't do that. And then he flips the knife around so that he doesn't cut himself while eating the syrup with a knife. And so I think that's, in this film, it does a really great job of characterizing the tramp as like, not only a father figure, but as a friend to the kid and as like um, a kid in and of himself. Wow, yeah, no, that's a great point. I, I, uh, you know, all those scenes you bring up, all those eating scenes from all those other films and, and then this pancake one and this one, it is, it is funny that that is a, a thread you see in all of them <laughs> and uh yeah again i think that that is just one of those smart basic human things that pretty much anyone can relate to is like the desire to eat food and um so that is you know yeah just how he taps into these like i guess really basic elemental human things like childhood and food and um cute flying dogs like yeah it's just again like i i can think of other things that the way he comedically used food uh has influenced like you have the trip films where like steve coogan and rob bryden or like that's the whole thing they're just like going around to these nice places eating and doing michael Caine impressions and it's great <laughs> like uh and even like the marx brothers like have some great bits like with food so that yeah i hadn't thought about foods you know comedic potential but you're so right like and, and, and chaplin does that so well here in the kid too mm-hmm. and then let's see we keep jumping I, I, for anyone who's listening to this who hasn't seen the film, we're not talking about this in order anymore. I just want to clarify. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. <laughs> because if I'm jumping around from the beginning to the end, to the middle, to the end, to the middle. So uh, <laughs> just bear that in mind. It, it's not this disjointed in the film itself. Um, <laughs> so which I, I hope you do see it because we're essentially spoiling the entire movie. It's a, 
it's like a 52 minute film, like I said before, and we've been talking for almost that long. So it's, it just goes to show that there's a lot to talk about even within this short of a film, but um, let's see. The, I want to go to the, uh, not the, it's not a hotel, but it's like a bed for rent place. Kind of like a, I, I, I really don't know what to call it. A, a lodge maybe. Um, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's just got a bunch of beds and a guy sitting at the door collecting rent for the, the bed for the night. Um, what I love about this scene is um, we see this scene starting with the tramp finicking around in his pockets trying to get a coin for the, the price for the bed for the night. And he can't find one, but he eventually does. And then when he's getting ready for bed, uh, this man in the bed next to him starts trying to pickpocket him. And he eventually finds another coin that the tramp doesn't appear to be have been aware of in his pocket. And so he then puts the man's hand back into his pockets and starts having the manipulating the man's hand to his pockets to try and find more money. And I don't know, I think that's just one of those really little bits that goes underappreciated um, just in the overall absurdity of the plot, but also just Chaplin's uh, really interesting methods to create humor. Yeah. Yeah, I love the the facial expression of the thief, like trying, like as he's trying to take stuff from his pockets, because it's so like blank, like he's pretending like he's sleeping, and then you just see like his hands. It's such a, yeah, like you said, like almost absurd image. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then in you know, speaking of that scene, and just to give another example of how Chaplin shifts from. Uh, drama to comedy to comedy to drama like immediately after that almost immediately like the the person collecting the money for these beds like steals the kid and takes Mm -hmm. him to the police station and then the tramp is like wakes up seeing he's not there and is desperately trying to find him so uh you know again it's to go from this like really wild absurd humorous moment to kind of a more heart-wrenching one is still I, I don't quite know how he pulls it off honestly just that because that's 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 not an easy thing to do mm-hmm. and one of the things that really foreshadows that there's I don't know if you, this caught your eye but in the background there's this scene that says or not the scene the sign that says management not responsible for stolen property and like it's a it's a bit of foreshadowing but it's also like um it's a really really bitter piece of irony because in this case management is absolutely responsible for the stolen kid yeah that's true i don't know if i have much else to say because we've basically talked through the entire film but 
and this has been a great conversation, but I will add one piece of trivia for anyone. Uh, there are five silent actors who are still alive, like five actors from the silent period. And one of them who appears in this film and it is the, uh, the baby in the beginning, the baby was played by a guy named Silas Hathaway and he is one of five silent era stars still alive at age 100. Wow. Uh, congratulations to Silas Hathaway. And <laughs> wow. And I wish that he were old enough to be able to remember this so that <laughs> like you could reach out to him and say thanks. Yeah. Do you know, did he go on to do any other work or was, was his baby uh cameo the only his only role i think it's just a cameo Uh, yeah i gotcha wow i i would that i don't know i just think it's fascinating that's like we we look at a hundred years of cinema as of a hundred years of legacy of this film we look at it as like such a long time ago but grand scheme of things there's still people alive (laughs) and still people from this very film that are still alive granted he's the only one but you know i I don't know it's it shows a lot of different ways we think about cinema and ways that people have presented uh you know just silent cinema as a whole as like this old uh you know not grand thing in a sense but it's it's really not that long ago (laughs) and like yeah that's a good point i mean i was surprised uh i didn't know that you know um you know, Chaplin never won any Academy Awards or anything until, like, I think so, at least, until, like, the 70s when he was given, like, a lifetime kind of achievement sort of award, I think. Um, I think and right. and so, I, I mean, the seven like, thinking of him being alive in the 70s, because, like you said, I think Chaplin and silent film in general, we think of it, the, or, you know, the public perception is that it's so old and Mm-hmm. kind of dusty and make not of interest to us now but but yeah like you said it really um when you think about it this uh baby from <laughs> the kid is now a hundred year old person and uh yeah it's it's uh even though it might not seem worth revisiting to some people now uh I've definitely been enjoying going back and, and getting familiar uh, with this stuff more than I thought I would, honestly. Like I sort of just saw it as homework, like uh, I'm gonna be a, a film studies grad student. I guess I should watch some Charlie Chaplin movies, but I, I have genuinely enjoyed it more than I, than I thought I would. Um, and, and that's actually, you know, I, I think along with this point, I was curious to hear um, 
sort of your thoughts on why Chaplin film, Chaplin's films are, are worth revisiting now. Like, um, because he is such a uh, esteemed figure. And, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about James Agee's writing about Chaplin. And I mean, he like is so, uh, he writes so highly of Chaplin. Um, and like, I think he refers to like the, the final scene of City Lights as being like the finest moment in movies. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, I guess kind of what I'm getting to is like, do you, you know, why do you think that reputation is deserved if you do think it is and why are Chaplin's films worth revisiting now? Well, I think what makes Chaplin in particular compared to his contemporaries, you know, Buster Keaton, Harold Boyd, um, among others, uh, what makes him stand out is he's really geared towards uh, these really unique moments of uh, human sentimentality. Um, He's not overly grandiose in his uh, capers like Buster Keaton with he's in the sense that he's not like almost getting hit by a train he's not uh, in a sinking steamboat Um, he's really focused on these human interactions these down-to-earth actual figures granted the tramp is an absolute caricature and he's it's a comedic character but the tramp also carries with him the sense of uh love and hope and you know this idea that uh everyone is worth uh loving at some level and the other thing that makes chaplin stand out for me is he's uh, he's, his themes are overall timeless, I would consider. Just we had spoke about wealth disparity, um, challenges to authority, challenges to, um, you know, the everyday uh, idea of uh, everyday life. <laughs> um, and so I think that's what really makes Chaplin a fascinating figure um, overall. Granted, of course, like we had mentioned, he's problematic in some instances, but I do think that these films are absolutely worth revisiting, if not to at least, at least once in a person's life, just see one, a silent film, and two, see how much heart they can have without any words. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. That that makes sense to me. And, um, you know, they are also just funny, too, if you're a <laughs> fan of comedy. And I think everybody could use a good laugh, you know, <laughs> given the past uh, seven, eight months. So uh, <laughs> definitely worth revisiting for, for a, a chuckle or two. Yeah, absolutely. So... I let's see. I'm I'm about to ready to wrap things off, so uh, I'm just gonna we're, we'll finish things off by just saying, uh, Reed, do you have 
a favorite Chaplin film of what you've viewed so far? Ooh, yeah. Um, oof. I'm gonna say I really liked this one. I it, it might be this one, but I think for now I'm gonna say Gold Rush. That one I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, mainly just because it did make me laugh so much. Like it, it doesn't necessarily from what I remember, have some of the same cultural commentaries, maybe City Lights or The Great Dictator or um, Modern Times, but it, it did make me laugh. And, and it has just some of those iconic like bits, like the bread dancing mm-hmm. and the cabin uh, falling, you know, just some great stuff in it. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good choice. I mean, Honestly, with Chaplin, for the most part, I don't think you can go wrong, except for maybe uh, A Woman of Paris. I'm not a huge fan of that. It's a film that he didn't really appear in. It's not particularly funny. Uh, But, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat of it's either The Kid or Modern Times. I, I think the roller skating scene in modern times is one of my favorite scenes like in anything and uh chaplin has just such good chemistry between him and paulette goddard um yeah and i (laughs) i just think it's a great it ends perfectly and i won't say how for those who haven't seen it, because we've just spoiled an entire chapter. <laughs> um, but yeah, and yeah, I think I think we can wrap it up there. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you have anything else to add? No, not just that. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed watching the kid and, and chatting about it with you, and, and definitely hope uh, people check it out. Yeah, definitely curious to hear what other people think about it. Yeah, great entry point for silence cinema, I would say. That's it for our show this week. (laughs) Thank you for listening and for your support. Please subscribe to the show on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram at Cineposium and on Twitter at Cposium to keep up with our updates and to keep in communication with us. Uh, Until next week, uh, take care, everyone. (laughs) 